Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll Podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. We'll hit on this week's game in Columbia, South Carolina, but this week has not been drama-free regarding a high-profile player in Alabama's 2019 class, nor has it been drama-free in the national media regarding scheduling. We'll start with that, Brad. The issue for Greg Byrne is simple. Alabama plays more day games than any other school in the conference. It's affecting fans. He's got a legitimate point because the fans are burning up. <laughs> They're dropping. So I'm going to delete my account after this for that bad joke. But uh, no, for real, like I said last week, I was at the last 11 o'clock game I've ever gone to was 2014 FAU. Never go back because of that. I saw literally people rose down for me in the lower bowl getting carried out on a stretcher because it was terrible. And we apparently just have the last pick in terms of scheduling for uh, for media on TV, because we've played far more in the last, I think it was, I saw a stat with LSU. In the last five years, LSU's only played the same amount we play in one year in terms of early morning kickoffs. Yeah. From what we've heard, there were a lot of heat-related issues during the New Mexico State game on Saturday. And some of these early season day games, they're unsafe. Greg Byrne, basically looking out for the safety of his fan base, started campaigning for more night games in Tuscaloosa. This had nothing to do with the players. It had nothing to do with a competitive advantage. It had everything to do with fan safety. They released a statement saying, quote, we are disappointed our game against Southern Miss has been selected as a daytime kickoff at home. We realize we've played more non-conference day games at home in September than any other SEC team since 2014, end quote. Somehow, the narrative morphed into Alabama is complaining about scheduling as if it, it was derived from something other other than fan safety. I mean, it's because before every year, it's always something about Alabama scheduling when it's never anything regarding what's going on in Tuscaloosa. It's always just trying to trash it or, you know, the neutral site epidemic that's been going on. This year, though, we actually give them a little bit of bait when we mention anything about scheduling in the time and now they have everything to build off of and try to just make us seem like we're the bad guy, which of course we are. We are. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You got to do something to get attention. Yeah, you got responses from, of course, like all of the FS1 guys who have no idea why the statement was released in the first place, nor, nor do they care to know. And this is just one of several examples, but none other than Joel Klatt, who has always had some sort of obsession with like finding a negative angle when it comes to Alabama, responded with, quote, says the team that's played two non-conference road games since Nick Saban got to town, pound sand, Bama, end quote. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I didn't plan on getting pissed off this uh, this episode, but, you know, here we are. It's just, it's funny because I guess Joel in his world of Big Ten cuckness just thinks that everyone's lining up to play Alabama whenever they want. The problem is, right now, with what's been sustained in Tuscaloosa, it is hard as shit to find somebody not in the conference to line up a big game, especially home and home. Mm -hmm. That's why they're scheduling so far out, too. It's not just because that's the only available option. No. To hell with that. It's because that's when they're hoping Nick Saban's gone. So I have two issues here. One... He's ignoring why the statement was released in the first place and the fact that it has nothing to do with players or the football game itself. It's like as if Alabama beating Southern Miss or New Mexico State is contingent on kickoff times. Like, might beat them by seven touchdowns instead of six if they kick at 7 p.m., I guess. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's a Bama bump in terms of time being bumped back. Yeah. Second issue is that clearly – 
nobody has paid attention to who Alabama has played out of conference since Saban got to town. Like, I'll give them Duke and, and Louisville, okay? Even though they, they scheduled those games when those two teams had, they had first-rounders at quarterbacks, I'll still give the media those two games. Outside of that, they played Florida State twice. One of those games was in Jacksonville. They played Clemson in Atlanta. Easy trip for both schools, but Clemson's an hour closer to Atlanta than Tuscaloosa. They played a home-and-home with Penn State. Virginia Tech twice. Michigan, West Virginia, Wisconsin, USC. Outside of Penn State, those were neutral site games where both schools are given an identical ticket allotment. There's no competitive advantage with Alabama flying to Arlington, Texas, to play some of those schools. There's no competitive advantage to each school getting a ticket allotment of 30000 each in Atlanta. Well, yes and no, because the competitive advantage actually exists in terms of how much Alabama makes versus the other team. <laughs> you know, they'll make a couple million dollars more, even though they have the same ticket allotments. Now, mm-hmm. the problem is it doesn't matter if we line up and play the Patriots if it's on neutral site, which an NFL stadium is, is neutral site. They want it to be home and home period and now they've gotten so fine-tuned with trying to reach for narratives it's we don't go anywhere past texas we don't go anywhere north of tennessee well you know the problem is poor people do poor teams do we're not poor we're gonna go where the money is they're offering this money for a reason and these matchups are set years ahead the chick the chick-fil-a kickoff game with duke was set up years ahead of time it's not like last year they called him and said hey y'all lost daniel jones hey man (laughs) we're coming let's do it no, that's not how this works. Dude, even if we did a home-and-home home with USC in Pasadena and in Tuscaloosa instead of in Arlington again, it wouldn't matter, even if it was next year just like it is next year. wouldn't matter. Or, excuse me, following year. Next year's Miami. Yeah. It wouldn't matter, though, because they'd find a way to bitch about it. Oh, well, Alabama, they're making more money or they're getting more tickets. It's always going to be something, especially when Fox Sports 1 is dying. So. Yeah. They'll find a way to complain about this, too. On Alabama's future schedules, they have USC, Texas, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, USF, West Virginia, and Oklahoma, most of which are home-and-home games. If you have a problem with that list, the problem is you. Oh, they won't have a problem with it, but the problem is it's so far away that right now they got to get the responses. they got to get the, mm-hmm. the viewership. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. we'll never be good enough. I, I had a tweet about three years ago that was spot on, not to toot my own horn, but it was, it's incredible to me that Nick Saban has won as many national championships and as many games as he had without ever once playing anybody. It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, like you said, you basically have to come to a realization that nothing Alabama does will ever make these people happy. The fact is, there's Alabama fatigue with a portion of the national media. They're going to find something to com- complain about no matter what. Yep, spot on. All right, Brad, there, there has also been some internal drama in Tuscaloosa. Water's wet. Yeah, the number one recruit in the country in the 2019 class, Antonio Alfano, could potentially be done at Alabama. Mm. Yeah. Nick Saban was asked to update Alfano's situation on Wednesday. He said, quote, he's kind of disappeared a little bit. I think you compound the problem when you don't confront the mistakes that you make and you create greater consequences for yourself because of the choices and decisions you make. End quote. That does not sound good. No. 
I mean, this is something that's been brewing for many months, believe me. I hope this doesn't come back to bite me and he does the opposite, but uh, I know there was a deadline uh, within the program for him. Dude, he honestly, from what I'd heard, he hadn't even been to class once this uh, this semester, so he, wa- he wasn't even going to be eligible. So at the end of the day, he's got so many relatives within his ear that when he went from New Jersey to here, he realized, oh, hell, this is not New Jersey football, but he feels still that he should be out there, period. And that's not how it's going to go. And where are you going to go? I mean, seriously, where are you going to go and then go to the NFL when you if you got this track record of over a decade of players waiting their time and getting drafted? Yeah, and he probably, like a lot of other guys who come in expecting to play right away, he got that awakening that this process – might not be as easy as you imagine. And you know how I feel about Antonio Alfano for the, this oh, whole absolutely. process. There's a reason that this guy catapulted to the number one player in the country last cycle. But just like with Ayabi Anoma, it's hard to factor in things outside of their athletic abilities when it comes to rankings and when it comes to expectations. But I can't lie. It, it may not play a gigantic factor in the success of this team or, or the teams to come at Alabama, but it would hurt to lose two guys that talented so close together. I mean, it would, but at the end of the day, it should be learning lessons just as everything along the road has been. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I want to clarify, I'm not comparing those two. <laughs> no, well, well, it is similar situations, though, to be honest with It you. is, but from what we've heard, I think Al- Alfano's is probably a little more self-inflicted, I, I would say. Mm, yes, I mean, self and relative inflicted, uh, yeah. more so. Okay. Yeah. But even still, like, like you were saying, wh- like, where are you going to go? When it comes to a situation like that, and if that if like playing time or getting on the field immediately has something to do with with these developments, I don't understand the line of thinking that you'd be better off leaving. Just like you said, there have been endless highly ranked guys who Nick Saban has signed who who haven't played immediately and ended up as high draft picks in the NFL. It, truly, I wish we had that list prepared because it would it would be astonishing. If we had it. And what's crazy to me is, though, it it does seem like that on paper that it's just, you know, playing time, all that. That's part of it. At the end of the day, this was going to be a cancer regardless. He doesn't even want to go to class. He doesn't want to do all the little things. And the staff, they bent, but they don't want to bend and break and go over backwards for this kid. Because at the end of the day, they don't need him. If he's going to truly be happy somewhere else, it's going the way it's going. And he's going to be somewhere else. Yeah. First guy that pops in my mind is Reuben Foster. (laughs) He had what some people in the recruiting industry were calling the, the best linebacker film they've ever seen. And if you've ever watched Reuben Foster's high school <laughs> film, it, it may be that. Uh, he was a top 10 player in the country. He got to campus. It took him some adjustment time to earn a starting spot. I mean, what was it, like year three for him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember him in that West Virginia game, and he didn't look good. Yeah, I mean, he, he had a couple moments mm-hmm. in his uh, sophomore year, but outside of that, yeah. You know, I mean, it, dude. I mean, it. It was incredible with him too, because hell, it was hard enough to keep him eligible. <laughs> the other thing was, you know, it was hard enough to keep him awake during a game because mm-hmm. he'd knock his own ass out. Yeah, but he ended up a first rounder. Uh, just off the top of my head here, like uh, Derrick Henry was a five star back. He was a top fifteen player in the country. He didn't start his freshman year. You think he's glad that he stuck it out? Yeah. How about one of my favorite players ever under Nick Saban, Reggie Ragland? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, you come out with that hype in Alabama as a linebacker. I mean, dude, that's yeah. yeah he waited his time. It paid. There's an endless yeah. list. Yeah, Clinton Dix, Rashawn Evans, list goes on. Like Alabama might have the best quarterback in in program history right now, and he did not start his freshman year. 
no i know it's crazy it's crazy i don't know but there's a mound of evidence saying that if you are a former five-star talent and your natural talent does in fact match that ranking that nick saban will help you reach that potential and get you drafted if you are patient because he has proven it yeah absolutely but the problem is you can be patient but you also got to do all these other little things the intangibles especially going to class especially going to workouts film you know doing the little things but when you don't want to do that, especially when you have people that are your confidants, allegedly, because they're family, they want the, quote, best interest for you. But yet they're trying to steer you in a different direction that is unproven, whereas staying here, being patient, doing what you have to do has a proven track record more than anywhere else. And we'll see where this goes. Uh, hopefully the situation, you know, works itself out. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, might, uh, you know. <laughs> Coach Loxley picking up the phone, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe by the time that we post this. Uh, yeah. A decision will already be made. but Yeah, uh, we, we got a track record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to this weekend's matchup against Will Muschamp and South Carolina Brad. Alabama is a 25-and-a-half-point road favorite. Does that number surprise you? I don't know. If it goes down to about a case of beer, yeah, it will, because uh, that's about the Steven Garcia tribute right there, because they are bringing him back to Columbia for this game. I saw that. The one game he's ever been sober for. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I mean, it's it's setting up perfectly. Like, there's this whole conspiracy with Jake Bentley. He's not injured. He is injured. Well, let's start this guy, because he's just trash, which he is, if you've listened two weeks ago. I expect nothing but craziness just because we've waited this long for redemption. I will admit I have been hashtag mad online and chapped ass in person for that loss against South Carolina in 2010. Still have never fully seen the second half of that game thanks to the alcohol, but I really hope I don't have that experience again because they tore down the old Arby's, so I can't go eat at Arby's. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. I'm not sure if the number would be the same if Jake Bentley was healthy, but I do think that you may see more people buying the Ryan Helensky hype and taking South Carolina than maybe you would have if Jake Bentley was starting. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that because honestly, it'd be number of turnovers you have to bet on if you had you know the old arm punk machine back there and Jake Bentley. So, you know, I really thought like when he Jake Bentley enrolled early and started at South Carolina, his freshman season should have been his high school senior season. Exactly. Yeah, he came out of Opelika, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, and he played pretty well. And you you kind of thought like, hey, this guy's really going to be something for South Carolina, and it just has never come to fruition. He's the only one that's been at a school longer than Hunter Renfro. So um, it is insane to think, but time's caught up with him. You know, he's like Tom Brady. It's uh, time's caught up, and now the young kid's there. But don't sleep on this Helensky kid, man. I mean, we saw last week, ran as Charleston Southern. I mean, I'm glad South Carolina could get half their season allotment worth of points scored done last week. But uh, mm. I have a feeling he's going to be in a rude awakening this week. You know, we're going to see what uh, what those legs of his can do because I feel like Alabama's going to make him beat us through the air. Yeah, speaking of the Charleston Southern game, like we've said, Ron Helensky, he's a true freshman. He's their starter going forward. We only have a small, small sample size to go by, but it's, it's an impressive one. He was 24 for 30, 282 yards, two touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, and one pick in his debut against Charleston Southern. So on one hand, Charleston Southern, they're an FCS team. On the other, this was Ryan Helensky's first collegiate football game. He he probably never expected to even get meaningful playing time this season, and he played exactly like a good quarterback should play against an FCS team. 
and if you're listening to this and you don't know the story of his families, mm-hmm. you know, take the time, check that story out. You may realize, you know, his older brother was the one who unfortunately took his own life at Washington State a few years ago. It's a hell of a story. I, I pull for the kid in the sense of except this weekend, because I think it's that family has been through everything and they can live vicariously now through him. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible. And I want to ask you too, like on the spot, who is your favorite non-Alabama football player that you've seen during your lifetime? Oh, man, that's that's actually really tough. Um, this might be sin to say someone from this school, <laughs> but I really, really loved watching Eric Berry play at Tennessee. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to argue that one. I mean, yeah. he was... I mean, he was a baller. I mean, he was a dude. And yeah, that's the first person that really comes to mind uh, for me. Because he he had that that vibe every time he's back there catching kicks, you know. And he was one hell of a damn safety too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I bring this question up because to me, it's Marcus Lattimore, hands down every day. Oh yeah, he, I mean, yeah. his story, you know, just as a freshman, what he did. And then his sophomore year, what happened, tried to come back, you know, got injured again, tried it in the NFL. It just didn't work. I mean, I, no one had that heart that I've seen in recent years, not in Tuscaloosa, like he did. That He was just a genuine kid, a hell of a football player, and it's a damn shame a career like his was cut short by injury. But that's my favorite overall SEC player I've seen in my lifetime, yeah, not a, at Alabama. Yeah, that's a solid and, and you know, that now that I'm thinking of it, Like, do you remember, like, when Marcus Lattimore first came on the scene and he kind of, like, ignited that fan base? Absolutely. It's like he he gave South Carolina, like, life and relevance. I kind of feel like Ryan Helensky in one week has single-handedly ignited their fan base. From what I've seen, they went from losing a game that their fans expected to win in week one (laughs) to, to, like, renewed hope a week later out of nowhere, like out of thin air. Yeah, it's like the uh, the first two Star Wars movies in the 70s. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's a new hope. Well, <laughs> it's about to be Return of the Jedi. Right. I, Darth I, Vader and Nick Saban, yeah. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're about to see if the hype is warranted. He he came in with really high ex- expectations, too. He was a top five quarterback in the country, a top 65 player o- overall. He was the second highest ranked recruit in their entire class on signing day. He was always their quarterback of the future. No, for sure. And uh, I don't think it was ever going to work for Jake. I think they found their out, and that's why that happened. But mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been to that stadium there in Columbia. But from what I've heard, when it gets going and it's hyped and they're in, dude, that stadium literally freaking bounces up and down a little. Uh, I remember them and rocking in 2010. I, rem- I vividly remember the pregame scene. Let's just hope uh, that comparison to the <laughs> – <laughs> the hype and the hope that uh, we just tied together of Lattimore and Helensky. Let's hope yeah. that does not reappear this week. Yeah. I don't think it will, but I, I won't uh, be surprised if South Carolina finds a way to cover this game, though. Yeah, I, I don't either. But look, staying on the offensive side of the ball, Brian Edwards, Shaw Smith, that's their top two at receiver. Uh, both good players. Neither one of them necessarily scare me coming into this game. Shaw Smith, he's a smaller, shiftier guy. Edwards is, is bigger bodied. Uh Edwards has had right at around 800 yards receiving for two years now. Uh, Smith's been around 500 or so in each of the last couple seasons. They're good. They're not elite, if that makes sense. Um, Alabama's secondary is probably the last grouping I, I have questions about right now, too. So I, no, I like absolutely. that matchup. Yeah. All we got to do is find that little short bastard that's going to be cutting across the middle. That's it. <laughs> that's, that'll be Shaw Smith for sure. 
Um, <laughs> same goes for their backs. Rico Dowdle, uh, Clemson transfer Tavion Feaster, who Alabama kind of kicked the tires on in the grad transfer market. Both are having a decent start to the season. Both are averaging over seven yards per carry. Those stats are inflated some. Oh, with, Jesus Christ. With Charleston. Yeah, you're talking about Charleston yeah. Southern. Yeah. That rushing numbers, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Yeah. That's a – that alone is a massive ass kicking. Not even the passing. For I mean, sure. what they did on the ground against Charleston Southern. I, granted, it's Charleston Southern, mm-hmm. but it's damn impressive. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't take the but two two running backs averaging over seven yards per carry to heart. Charleston Southern had a lot to do with that. But look, both of those guys are decent enough to present a challenge for the young inside guys. So I'll be curious to see how they play in the middle. Uh, what I want to see is that lateral speed, you know, with these guys and actually still being able to form up, make the tackle, you know, not just diving and, and trying to take the lower body out because I have a feeling that that's where they're going to struggle at, you know, in live game action. But we'll see. You know, I kind of saw moments last week uh, and, and we'll see what happens here because I have a feeling South Carolina's approach is they're going to try to set it outside and, you know, they're going to try to take shots on top of that, but they're going to try to keep, keep the ball outside. Uh, to each uh, sideline and try to just spread Alabama out to be able to set up that that play action uh, fake deep throw. So, yeah, they they had one player total on the preseason all, all SEC teams. It was Brian Edwards that I just mentioned. This is not a team with a guy like Alshon Jeffrey or Marcus Lattimore. Uh, I'd say like Ryan Helensky is a wild card for Saturday, but this is far far from the most talented offense uh, Alabama will see this season. Well, yeah. I mean, what we have to look at is two things. We have to look at uh, Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama. There's two stats. The first one is the revenge factor. And he has not lost a game until Old Miss that year, uh, which we don't speak of, in revenge games. And then also against assistants. He's never lost to an assistant. I don't think we're going to lose to this guy. But I swear to God, there's going to be some boards punched through if Will Muschamp does win. Uh, uh, Moving on to the defensive side, they've had – South Carolina's had trouble against some dual threats recently. You'll be interested in this because I did a little digging earlier. Sam Howell for North Carolina played in his first collegiate game ever against South Carolina game one. He threw for 245 yards, two touchdowns, no picks on 24 pass attempts. That's an 18-year-old guy suiting up for the very first time who played a, a more than efficient game. You go, you go down the list from last year. Trevor Lawrence, if you consider him a dual-threat guy, uh, he, I mean, obviously not electric in the run game by any means, but he can, he can make plays when needed. He threw for almost 400 on him last year. Uh, Tamu from Ole Miss threw for right at 400. Kellen Mond threw for 353. These two really stick out. Jarrett Garantano, his completion percentage <laughs> – was right at 70, and Felipe Franks even had a 71.4 completion percentage on the South Carolina defense last season. In that collective group, all six quarterbacks that I just named, not a single one of them threw an interception. Not one. And not a single one of them really was worth a damn outside of that game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, like, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that... A few of them played okay, but especially the last two, Garantano, Felipe Franks. I mean, that's that's a bad look. Uh, yeah. So what you're telling me is maybe Tua goes ahead and gets that bubble bursted this weekend, gets that first <laughs> INT out of the way? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not either because but. from what I'm told on the national media, 
uh, online is, you know, he's nothing but a quarterback whose receivers makes him, you know, he doesn't really complete those deep balls. So uh, I'm just glad to know that every statistical passing yard before Tua Tunga-Vailoa ever threw a uh, pass in a game that was recorded was because the quarterback threw the ball to the receiver at that exact spot. It didn't go any farther, not because the receiver ever took a step. So we are witnessing history. I'm happy to see it. Yeah, and if history repeats itself with this South Carolina defense of of recent, Tua is slated for a for a really big game. Hundred percent is going to be Mac Jones season fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, and, and part of it this is at the outside of Javon Kinlaw at defensive tackle. They weren't able to get a ton of pressure last season, and that's kind of carrying over to this season as well. Early. But after watching Alabama's offensive line struggle some in the first two weeks, Kinlaw, I think, will be as good of a measuring stick as you can ask for when it comes to those interior guys. You have to think that this weekend in that matchup, it's step up or sit down, Tom. Absolutely. No, I, I think it's going to prove a lot. I do think he's a talented player. Uh, he, he's exactly what Will Muschamp has ever wanted at any stop mm-hmm. in, in terms of you know playing over the ball. So I think Alabama – they better figure it out. But look, I'm not going to be surprised, to be honest with you. I'm not going to be surprised at all if you see a dramatic improvement this weekend on the road in the run game and the offensive line performance. I don't know why, but honestly, historically, the last few years, we've started off like this. We've started off slow. We can't run the ball worth a damn, and then all of a sudden it just breaks loose. Yeah, part not going to be surprised. Yeah, Part of me thinks, like, strictly based on that matchup and who can come in and straight up perform – and block that guy. I mean, they may earn their spot this week. I agree. Hopefully they let them try to earn it by not taking them out every damn other series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the Roll Bama Roll podcast. Roll Todd.